And welcome everyone to the Beyond the Profile podcast. I'm your host, Shiny, and just want to say thank you. You know, thank you for pressing play. Uh, This is my first episode of Beyond the Profile, and I couldn't be more excited. Um, What I want to do with this podcast is use it as a learning platform. I want this to be something where I discuss and talk with professionals that are in the workplace that have ultimately found their passion in what they're doing and what they did along the way, whether that be successes or failures and stuff of that sort. You know, what kind of things did they learn? Who were their mentors? Who did they talk to? Um, What kind of decisions did they have to make along the way to get to the point where they are, where they ultimately found happiness? I mean, that's what it, that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, when you find something that you're passionate about and something that you love, I mean, that's just pure happiness. And that's something that I want to personally try and unlock um, and, and find through people that I talk to in the different careers that uh, my guests are going to be involved in. So without further ado, let me introduce our first ever guest of Beyond the Profile, and that is an extremely good friend of mine, Trevor Lynn. Trevor Lynn is the CMO of Social Tables, and Social Tables is a collaborative platform used by planners and property professionals to bring together successful events and bring them in an organized and beautiful fashion in terms of conferences, hotels, everything of the sort. He also started as an intern at Living Social, and before that he was at American University where he was there for three years studying finance. And what we talk about with Trevor is merely how he got started at Social Tables back in 2012-2013. Startups were kind of on the up and up back then, but he knew, somehow he knew that that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to get involved in an early stage startup and build it from the ground up. And that's what he did. And we talk about a lot of things in terms of the fundraising that goes into play, his mentors that were involved with him getting involved in sales and marketing when really he had no sales and marketing experience. And as someone who's merely a 21-year-old, how do you even begin to do that um, in the workplace like that with venture cap uh, investors in front of you with a product that you really need to sell to people? and to consumers, and to businesses. We talk about all of that. Um, The great thing about Trevor is he's an extremely down-to-earth friend. He's very intelligent, and he's someone that takes a macro view out of everything and really analyzes it and is a genuine human being at the end of the day. So without further ado... I'd like to introduce you all to 
a really good friend of mine, Trevor Lynch. All right, Trevor, how are you, man? Um, Welcome to the Beyond the Profile podcast. I'm your host, Shiny. I got my bud, Trevor Lynn here, CMO of Social Tables. How you doing, Trev? Doing good. Feeling great. It's a beautiful day in the district. It is a beautiful day. Um, and it's beautiful because this is my first episode of Beyond the Profile. And I got, of course, like really great friend here, Trevor. Um, and I think we're just going to start off real quick. Uh, Trevor, just tell me a little bit about yourself, um, where you grew up, um, you know, family that you grew up with, stuff of that sort. Sure. So uh, I'm originally from kind of small town Ohio, so halfway between Columbus and Cincinnati, uh, very rural farm town, and uh, grew up in kind of a small community. It was uh, um, a lot of like agriculture, a lot of farming. Um, you know, I think our like town was maybe 10,000 people. So it was very kind of like uh, perfectville USA, like it's very safe. Like everyone knows everyone. Like you run into, you you know, kindergarten through uh, high school, the exact same people in my class the whole way. So it's, it's kind of like a unique environment. Not a lot of people um, have that, but uh, it's a very, you know, I, I like to tell people it's a great place to grow up, not a great place to like grow after that. I think it's, it's good to get out there uh, in the world and, experience different things, different perspectives, cultures, and um, that's kind of how I gravitated toward DC uh, once I was thinking about where to go next after high school. Yeah, definitely. And you kind of mentioned there just a little bit, like you you knew right from the get-go, it was, a, it was a great place to grow up, but it wasn't a great place to continue to grow. And like, that's kind of what I want to do with this podcast. I want to like try and understand um, where people are going with their lives, uh, the career paths they've chosen, and just really instill to people that there are so many different routes and roads to go along to the careers that they've uh, ended up with or are looking to go further out. Um, so how did you really know, uh, you know, growing up in little small town in, o- in Ohio, that this wasn't the place to actually grow up? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think so. When I was looking for schools, I, um, I kind of, I knew I wanted to get a decent amount of distance from my small town, so that I wasn't, it wasn't easy to go back. A lot of people that I grew up with, they would kind of go to school close by, and they would end up coming back a lot. And then I would see a lot of people gravitate back and kind of end up living there, which not a bad thing at all to do. I just didn't think it was the right thing for me, so I want to try something different. So I kind of looked for realistically, I looked for a city that I wanted to live in after college, I, th- I thought um, some really good advice that my parents gave me was, you know, g- the school is great, but being in the city you want to live in, when you go to school, there's a really big advantage of you can get an internship, potentially get hired. Um, you can know the city and know the jobs and um, you have a lot more exposure to career paths versus going to maybe a state school that's kind of off on its own in a small town and you kind of have to leave there to go get an internship or leave there to get kind of true work experience. So I think that helped a lot kind of shape my mindset about oh what what should I do where should I go or how should I think about school and I basically chose DC because like New York's too big Boston's too cold Chicago's too cold and uh, it was like you know Goldilocks for me it was like right size you know right right type of people the campus was um, part of the city but it was actual college campus it wasn't like a like a city campus so it seemed like a great place to live for a couple years as I 
figured out this whole career thing. Yeah, definitely. And and one other thing too, it's 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 just fascinating because you know when you're going through like the whole high school process and and the whole college, uh, trying to figure out you know where do I want to go next and stuff of that sort. Not many people think of the after college. You know, people are like trying to figure out where can I get into, what's the best school that I can get into, and then whatever that school is. I'll be fine after that. Mm. But they just want to figure out what's next. What what is next after that year? And it sounds like for you, you weren't just thinking about where you want to go to school, but where you want to set yourself up for like 5 years down the road. You know, how how did you understand that and what was kind of like your mindset being like a 17-18 year old and knowing, okay, I need to think about this five years down the down the line. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's to me that is very rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was it was. Um, I think my general mindset is like just the amount of opportunity. Some people talk about like increasing your like luck surface area. So like, how can you create a lot of opportunities to get lucky? And I think to me it felt obvious that if I wanted to have kind of like a, a different kind of career path, a different life. I'd have to increase my like ability to run into lots of opportunities in a big city just felt like the, the right way to do that. Could have, I could have been wrong. Uh, I think I got lucky that like it, it worked out. Um, yeah, I could have picked, I could have picked the wrong city. I could have picked the wrong school. I could have picked the wrong internship. So like there is a big element of luck cause it would be great to say that I knew with kind of perfect vision that it was all going to work out. But I, I, I think sometimes part of it is you get lucky and then the other part of it is you kind of make it work. Yeah, definitely. And and just kind of like moving moving towards, um, you know, you going to American University, mm-hmm. um, you know, did you know right away, and, and you were in the Kogod School of Business at American University, specializing in finance, um, you know, did you know right away that you wanted to get into finance, or was it kind of just like, you know what, we'll, we'll start with finance, and then we'll kind of just go from there? Yeah, I really didn't have a clue. I, like, where I grew up, there was... A lot of the jobs are kind of like jobs that people know, like that you can see, right? They're like um, a real estate person, a lawyer. Um, you maybe work at like the local college, or you're like you work at a bank. And it wasn't very like specific. Like I, my exposure to like true like business jobs and business roles, like very small. Like I, I didn't have a lot of people that was like, oh, this person's you know mom is in finance, or this person's dad did X, Y, and Z over here. So I didn't really know a lot, but I knew that I was most interested in that world of like finance like I don't think I was smart enough to do like math and I don't think I like knew what economics was to be totally honest with you (laughs) and so finance made sense to me it was like obvious it was like okay cool you come here if you're pretty good at math it seems like it works out you know if I knew what I knew now like I probably wouldn't I would have got a degree in like economics or I would have got a degree in like economics and history like to me now those would be way more important things than like finance finance is like applied economics to a specific thing Hmm. versus like economics is a little more of like a baseline foundation um i didn't get that at the time i didn't know that and to the point where like i remember i was i was in my internship at living social and i was in new york city for work and i was talking to a guy a really smart guy and he was like he was like oh yeah i think he was like god where did he go he went to a great he was like went to harvard he was like an econ major and i looked him dead in the face and i was like what are you gonna do with an econ degree and he was like what do you what do you mean (laughs) <laughs> like I literally didn't know that that's a way more difficult level of like a finance job. Yeah. So um, I didn't, I don't think I knew a lot. I knew that like I thought business was a good area to go into uh, and I was good at math. So I kind of 
good enough at math, so I focused on the finance part of it. Um, and funny story is like I probably spent a year or two, probably about a year in college, taking a lot of like international development, international business classes because I had this idea that uh, I really liked Spanish and I thought it'd be really cool to go work internationally, work in Latin America on kind of some international development efforts. And I had this professor, uh, Bob Cecina, uh, he was a really straight shooter. He kind of, I think he worked at like Amex. He had a really great career. And I told him that and he looks at me and he goes, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> I was like, uh, what? He's like, yeah, that's terrible because you're from the States and you're here and you don't know Spanish or the culture remotely close to how someone that is from Latin America knows the culture has come here, grew up learning English and now's in a school in the U S and they're going to go back. And he was like, they're going to beat you out of every job that you would try to get. He was like, I don't think that's a very good plan because he used to run like American X plus for like Latin America. So like he understood wow. how it worked. So that kind of blew up my like, school situation where I was like oh I'm here thinking I'm doing this and he's totally right and so I dropped my language I dropped my international business courses and I stuck to finance because I was like well at least with finance I know that I can apply that a lot of places um, so I think that was really good advice from from him wow I mean that's that's pretty incredible um, and and something that I didn't really know a whole lot about especially um, because I know that you in the summer of your uh, sophomore year, end of your sophomore year, you mm -hmm. went to Spain, yeah, and you just did like a summer immersion program in yeah. Spain, and and you got like internships and stuff like that over yeah. there. So you you kind of still had that international itch, but yeah. at the same time, you weren't going to go towards the international trade economic yeah. route at all. So yeah, it was a big wake up call, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go heavier towards finance and like. I really like financial modeling and things like that. So I kind of went down that route, but um, it was a total shift. Like I dropped that, I dropped my major. I had a major that was like a business language and culture type of specialization. I dropped it and went straight finance. Interesting, interesting. And you kind of alluded to it um, a few minutes ago, uh, talking about the internship that you had at Living Social. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I know you did um, some sales work, some marketing mm -hmm. work at, at Living Social. What's interesting to me is, you know, we talk about, um, you know, you being kind of encompassed in uh, the financial sector mm. at American University, being at the business school there and learning, taking a lot of specialty finance courses, I would know because I was there as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting that you kind of deviated a little away from that and got into sales and marketing with mm -hmm. Living Social. So what was kind of like your decision-making process um, to get that sort of an internship? And you were there for what, like a year or so, mm -hmm. a little, little over a year? Yeah. So what, what, what was your decision-making to go that route to sales and marketing at Living Social? Yeah. And why did you end up like staying there for that long of a time? Yeah. Yeah, so I, again, kind of got into a world that I didn't know much about. I didn't know that if you're going to get into finance, you need to like nail an internship like your whatever summer of your junior year at a place that you're then going to get hired at after you graduate and this like whole song and dance and who what's what is i don't even know what private equity was or venture capital or investment banking i didn't even know what any of those were and i didn't realize that that was the whole thing you had to do i didn't do that and so it was like kind of like my professor that told me not to do international business i kind of realized like oh wow i missed the i kind of missed the boat on the how this is supposed to work and then i think i also realized like i don't 
actually think that I would have been good enough to get some of those jobs, in my opinion. Like, I don't think I would have gotten like a top tier banking or consulting role. I, I don't think my background was strong enough. I don't think I kind of understood that world to do it well. And uh, so I didn't go that route. So it was like, I was like, okay, I think I missed this. Don't think I would have worked out anyways. And I went to Living Social. Um, part of going to Living Social was because I worked at a small co-working space in DC. It was the first co-working, co-working space in DC. It doesn't exist anymore. But uh, it was kind of before the WeWorks of the world. And I saw all these people in DC coming off of the hill in their suits and ties. They would show up at like 5.30, 6 o'clock, and they would sit down at these desks, and they would start working on side companies. They would start working on you know, internet companies, consumer goods companies. And I was like, wow, these people are nuts. Like They work a full-time job, and then they come here, and then they work till 11 or 12 at night trying to launch these businesses. And I was like, this is incredible. And I like love the stories. I love working with those people. And I saw, I thought that it was so cool that they would go into business for themselves. And you know, my parents owned a small gift shop growing up, so I would work in the gift shop. And like my parents kind of always worked for themselves in the little small town. And so I thought it was cool. I understood those people way more than I understood like the Deloitte people or the iBanking people. And you know, that like you know, people that were gung ho on New York City and finance and Wall Street and all that stuff. I didn't really, I didn't really understand that world, so I didn't get too excited about it. But these folks, I really resonated with. And I love that. And so when I was there, Living Social started growing really fast. They were kind of this like high-flying tech company. They were growing gangbusters in D.C., hiring people from all over, raised lots of money. And maybe when I joined, I don't know, maybe there were five, 600 people or so, maybe a little bit more. Um, but the reason I joined is because I was like, wow, I see all these crazy people coming in after work. They're one or two employees, and they're trying to they're trying to be Living Social, which is this big, super fast growing five six hundred person company. Now I think by the time I left, it was like maybe a couple thousand because they acquired companies and hired so mm-hmm. many people. And I was like, I want to do that. Like I want to figure out how do you go from one or two people to like a thousand growing like crazy. They raised like half a billion dollars from Amazon, you know, at at one point when right, I was there. Right. And I love that, I could understand it. And so the reason I went from finance to that, it was because I could take that kind of like general business knowledge. And I, what I learned is I could apply it to things like sales strategy and marketing strategy and kind of take my unique knowledge of finance, kind of flip it a little bit, make it very business model, go to market oriented. And uh, I loved it, it was awesome. Like I was really close to revenue. I could see dollars going out for marketing, dollars coming in from sales. I love seeing the big machine and how it works and how the different departments play together and hiring people and creating this like amazing super bought in culture that I thought was really fun. And it was a great environment. Like it really instilled a lot of that like, you know, you know, get shit done mentality. Yeah. And I thought it was a lot of fun. And I thought it was awesome that you could play a role and know exactly how what you did resulted in like an outcome maybe a day later or a week later or a month later. So I felt really close to it. I think one of the things that I realized in finance is, you know, we would do these like complex formulas and equations and have to choose which companies to like, you know, invest in or buy whatever you're building these like portfolios of stocks. And I was like, I realized like I was looking at, I'll never forget, I was in the library looking at a graph and I realized like I was supposed to allocate like, I don't know, some portfolio and diversify it and pick 50 companies or whatever to put inside of it. And I was like, if my job is like picking companies that have like millions of customers and maybe thousands of employees and I'm supposed to pick a couple dots on a graph and invest that way, I was like, I don't get that. Like I'm too, I'm too far detached. I don't understand yeah. it. Like my hands are not close enough to what's actually happening to get excited. And I realized like, okay, I don't want to like pick which like dots on this graph to invest in. Like I want to be one of these dots that like people are choosing whether or not it's going to be good or bad. And I want to be part of the people that make it awesome. Yeah, and like make it like somebody picked it and it was an incredible investment because the business took off. But like, I'd rather be in the business helping it take off than like 
oh, am I good at picking which businesses are going to take off? Like that just became less and less exciting. Yeah, you you wanted to see a company grow, yeah. and you wanted to be a part of a culture that would that helped so many different people. You didn't want to help a certain person invest in another company right. that was probably just doing extremely well on its own and yeah. growing its own company. Or even worse, like the thing that I remember hating was finance was like, oh, you can short stocks. And then, you know, because you think they're bad yeah. and you hope that they keep doing worse because you make money off of that. I was mm -hmm. like, that is, that's awful. Like yeah. that's somebody's like life and jobs and like those are real people inside that little dot on the graph that you just chose to bet against. And I was like, I just didn't, I didn't like it. Yeah, no, and it's really interesting too. I mean, you're you're understanding all of these things as an intern. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it sounds like you kind of went like a little full time too at Living Social while you were there. Yeah, I was working like twenty five ish hours a week my last year at college. Yeah, so I mean, it's, 30 hours. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just crazy that you're understanding all of these things while also at the same time, you know, you're you're like an entry level. Uh, you're at an entry level job, mm -hmm. you're an intern, whatever that may be, and you're kind of using that financial background of like understanding the revenue, uh, the income statement portion of mm -hmm. like how to grow a business, but then also at the same time, you want to understand like the company side and mm -hmm. you want to learn how to like gain more consumers mm -hmm. and customers and try to build and grow that business within itself. Yeah, and I think I think that's super fascinating and kind of what maybe led you to the job that you are right now. And, yeah, totally. And that's, you know, social tables. You want to talk a little bit about maybe what social tables is. Um, and I kind of want to just get started. Um, cause I mean, I remember it just like it was yesterday. Like you were t talking to me about the different places that you were interviewing at. Mm -hmm. Um, cause mind you, everyone like Trevor graduated a year early. Like he, knew what he wanted to do. He was, you know, uh, very organized in how he wanted to go about uh, his post-grad work. Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about like the decision-making process um, and why you pick social tables. Yeah, so as I was getting, leaving school, yeah, I was, I was um, I'm graduating a year early. And I think the reason I really wanna graduate a year early is because it was like, you know, I had a scholarship, but I was still paying money. And I, I quickly realized, I quickly started getting annoyed once I started getting internships that I get paid for. I started getting annoyed that I would put so much work into like a school project that I would just, you know, a teacher would give me a grade on it. And I really liked the idea that like I do a really awesome project and like something in the world happens. So I was like, okay, the faster I can get out of here, the better, because I really like that a lot more. Um, and then when I was at Living Social, um, I was really close to my, my boss and another guy on, on the team. And I was telling them both, I was like, I really want to work here. This seems awesome. It's a high-flying company. And they were both like, no, like, I think you should branch out. You should look at other stuff. And they were like, we don't, we don't have any, we don't really have any roles for you right now. And we can't guarantee you that you'll have a role. And so for those of you counting at home, that's the third thing that I was like trying to do, but I missed the boat on. So I'm not like perfectly lining stuff up and knocking it down. It's like the third thing that in my opinion, I wanted to do that I didn't get to do. So mm -hmm. like... I'm not out here just hitting home runs every time. It was a lot of like, oh, I struck out, I struck out, I struck out. Yeah. And um, I ended up taking this like unpaid internship in Boston. And it was a this like program. I won't get too deep into it, but anyways, I forwent for a salary, moved to Boston for the summer because it was a program focused on helping people understand how to work at startups as fast as possible. 
understand the skill set and the mindset to get an early stage job or a job at an early stage company. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in an early stage company. I thought I wanted to be one of the first 10 employees because at Living Social, those first 10 employees, they were like rock stars. Everyone knew them. One of the big things was it was just their first name at livingsocial.com. Yeah. And like, I thought that was so cool and I wanted to do that. And, and so I took this, this thing in Boston. I was there for the summer. And when I was there, I basically made it my point. Like when I go back to DC, I'm going to try to interview with every single CEO that will give me the time of day to join their company at under 10 employees and do anything that they would let me do. Whether that was going to be make a hundred phone calls a day for sales or take out the trash or a little bit of both. I was like, that's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on that. And uh, so I cold emailed, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 early stage CEOs, met with a handful of them. Most of them didn't have jobs for me, but they were like willing to entertain, like, okay, I'm trying really hard and they maybe were gonna see if they would give me a shot. And realistically, probably out of those like 10 or 15 that I met with, only one company was like, yeah, we'll give you a shot. And that was Social Tables. It was the, wow. it was the founder of Social Tables. I got breakfast with him. At the time, it was him, you know, one other guy that was kind of like a co-founder um, very early on and a couple part-time folks. And basically, I didn't know what they needed me to do, but I talked a lot about like the paid marketing side and all this stuff. So they're like, okay, great. We're all engineers. Your job is bring people to the website. And so I was like, great, I'll do it. Uh, I had no, I was literally willing to just sit in there and make phone calls and cold call and like try to get people on the phone to sell them wow. some software. Yeah. Anything to get in at the early stage. Um, so then I ended up being kind of the, the marketing guy, um, not something I had a background in, not something I knew anything about that I'd truly done a marketing campaign. Like at Living Social, I would analyze the results of a campaign. I would never launch them. I didn't know anything about creative or copy or content or advertising or pay-per-click advertising. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. And uh, so they gave me an early, early shot. They took a bet on me that I would figure it out. And we were kind of off to the races at that point. So it was a really, really small team. I was like, I guess I was the third, third full-time employee at that point. And basically ended up being able to where I am now, which is I, over the years, I would, I was running the marketing team and I was learning marketing as we went. And every time we needed a new marketing channel, I would have to figure it out and figure out if it worked for us. And if it worked, figure out if I could keep it running. And if not, do I need to hire someone to then take over that work? Does it pay off? Is there ROI for the company? Does it make sense? And so I, I did that for uh, you know a long time. Um, and then throughout other moments in time at the company, I would, own, I would have different teams. So I had our sales development team, which is a team of people cold calling. We were B2B software. And for B2B software, a pretty common sales and marketing process is cold calls. It's making an outbound call, calling your customer and seeing if they yeah. you know, want to take a look at your software and buy it. So I had that team, which we built up to about 25 people. And then I had still had the marketing team. And then at another point, I took on our sales team. So you know, maybe call that another 20 folks. And then our, uh, eventually had our customer success team as well, which is kind of like renewals and account management. Maybe that was another 10 or, or so people. And uh, so I got the full view of sales and marketing that way. And realistically, the only reason that worked is because I was just dedicating myself to figuring out how to make it work and like had the numbers to prove that it was or wasn't working. And um, the motto was kind of like, I have to grow faster than the company's growing if I wanna keep my job heading these departments because I was inexperienced, young, really not qualified yeah. to do a lot of this stuff. And if on paper, if you saw that I was running those teams, you would say that was a mistake and like you should put a more seasoned person there. But I got lucky and uh, that never happened and I got to keep growing with the company and eventually you know, be chief marketing officer, be on our board of directors, help 
go through fundraising that we raised. We ended up raising about $8 million of venture capital. So I got to be involved in that process and really see the company from both the bird's eye view and also being inside of it. So it was, uh, it was just a lot of learning as I go and figuring stuff out. And, um, you know, it was, a uh, quite the ride. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when, you know, for, for all of our listeners back home, when you kind of just keep track of everything and, and understand the timeline a little bit, you know, we're talking about a guy that, you know, went to college, you know, got into finance internship at, um, essentially like a, an internet company doing sales and marketing, whatever that may be. And just right after that kind of cold calling and cold emailing different people to figure out who would give them a shot. And then someone gave you a shot and then you're just learning on the go. Mm -hmm. Like you, you don't really understand how to, you know, increase your customer race mm-hmm. or to get those different clients uh, to come on to social tables and what that might be. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you have any counsel along the way? Did you yeah. kind of just like stick your head into some books and into the internet and kind of just understand how to grow your customer base? Like yeah. how, how does someone that maybe might be really interested in marketing or whatever that may be, and they're in a completely different field or industry, kind of just pick up and learn on the go? How yeah. do you do that? Yeah, it was a lot. Uh, so yeah, it was books. Um, it was a lot of like blogs and articles online. It was a lot of YouTube videos. It was like following a lot of blogs, getting them in my inbox daily. And probably more than anything, it was not being afraid to ask people for help, whether they were in the company or they were like a friend of a friend in the company or it was a totally cold outreach, again on LinkedIn, like I probably would, I was connecting with anyone that I could in DC that was in marketing and just asking them for help. If I needed, if I was having trouble with email marketing, I would find the person that I thought was at the best company doing the best email marketing, I would email them and I'd say, hey, do you have 30 minutes? Like I'm running into some problems, I'm trying to figure stuff out, I wanna understand how you operate. Mm -hmm. And I did that constantly. And then I started realizing like, why am I emailing people in DC I can email anyone anywhere, yeah. talk to them on the phone. Yeah. So then I'm emailing San Francisco-based companies, New York-based companies, Boston-based companies. If I would travel for work, I'd try to visit someone or see someone. I would schedule coffee. I would buy coffee for people, lunch for people, drinks for people, whatever, just to, to get a little bit of insight. And then some of those people would really clicked and I would go back to them often. I would go back to that well a lot and like ask lots and lots of questions, lots and lots of help. You know, I had you know, a good friend at the company, had one of his best friends, you know, worked on marketing at Geico because Geico's based you know, around here in DC. And right. then I ended up meeting with him probably every other month for like three or four years until he moved away. But it was like, even when I was early on, I met with him. And then even, you know, four or five years in, I was still meeting with him, still asking for advice and for help just because I didn't, I didn't have it. I didn't know it. So I ended up just the same way I kind of tried to, you know, find CEOs the interview, just cold outreach, just go do it. I did the exact same thing for when I didn't know what to do. I would email the best person that I could find online that would respond to me and have a conversation. Yeah, definitely. And was there anyone in particular that kind of just stands out to you right now that's just like, okay, like I can always go back to that person and they're always gonna be there for me. I'm always gonna be there for them. Like they really taught me, you know, the way on like how to do like this sales and marketing business for just like a startup company. Yeah, it's there's a the guy that's he was either was the head of the marketing department or is the head of the marketing department at uh, Georgetown. He's a professor. He his name is Bob Thomas. He's 
wildly smart, lots of books. He runs, you know, he's got MBA classes and he's creating courses and he's like really, really innovative. He's an older gentleman. And I have probably gotten lunch or had calls with him or emails with him like almost every other month since I started, like very wow. beginning. He was an advisor for social tables. And I'm, I think I'm, I'm getting lunch with him this week. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so like he's, he's been awesome. He's very strategic. He helps me because it's easy when you're in a, in a startup, you're very in the weeds. And he always helps me like get my view out of that and, be, and help me understand how to think strategically. So he's been the number one person forever. But it's funny, like it's not like he has a software technology background. He's just got great perspective that I then, you know, kind of apply to my world. Of course, of course. And... I mean, that's that's something just to take into account, too, like having someone, you know, always be there for you to answer your emails, you know, going to lunch and just getting a different perspective. Um, And I think that's one of the things that not a lot of people think about, you know, maybe maybe when you're talking to really getting into the business world or starting out in your career, you know. I remember my dad would always tell me like, ask questions, ask mm. questions, ask questions, and you know, never be afraid to like raise your hand and just ask. And yeah. and you, you you hear the cliche like, there's never a bad question, yeah, yeah. but then you always think to yourself, okay, dude, like fuck, <laughs> like there's there's bad questions. Like yeah. we like, we laugh at people. There's, but, there's yeah. bad questions, but the funny thing is, is like you're not gonna you can ask some of the best questions in the world, but like. And they might talk to you one time, but then they might not give you the time of day again right. later because it's like they didn't enjoy it, it didn't click, they don't have time, whatever. So like going to like one or two people or having one or two people is like not enough. Like you need to have like thirty. Yeah. Forty. Like just spread your 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 net as far as possible because not everyone's gonna always have the time, but you, you can't be transactional. Like you have to really, you know, connect with those people and you have to find ways to help them too. Of course. And um, really nurture those relationships. But without a doubt, number one thing because whether it's in your industry or not in your industry or where you want to be in your career in the future or where you are now, getting other people's perspective that have been there before or just have a unique view of the world is like wildly valuable and it's not easy to get. Like there's great content online these days, but at the end of the day, like having people that you can talk to and specifically talk about your situation, what you want to do and help you get perspective is like ridiculously valuable. Of course. And and I, and I noticed like we're uh we're about like 10 minutes into like talking about social tables but we never really talked about what is social tables so trevor give us like a a a tiny little summary as to like what social tables is um what do you guys do um and it's kind of a it's a different industry Mm -hmm. than maybe um a lot of people might think Mm -hmm. uh and why you're still doing what you're doing yeah. at Social Tables. So Social Tables, we're a, a online business-to-business software, and our customers are mainly um, event spaces, like a hotel or like a venue or a convention center, and then also event planners, you know, like a corporate event planner or uh, just really anyone that's, you know, whether they're contracted or part of a company throwing event, events on a small scale or a large scale. So that's like a really high level what we do. And, you know, we have about 5,000 customers across the world, uh, mainly in North America, but about 10% are international and, you know, call it, you know, 60, 70,000 users. That's what we're at now. When I started, we were at zero customers, you know, zero revenue, zero everything. Um, and uh, so that happened over time. Like it wasn't like a poof, everything's awesome. And this yeah, is great. It was, yeah. uh, it was a slog and it was like tiring and it was an exhausting and it was like a roller coaster. And I think the 
key thing to think about whether you're going from different job to different job or you're staying at different jobs within the same company is like there is no there's really truly no like overnight quick win like you see stuff online where it's like 20 you know 19 year old raises 100 million dollars and starts a company and changes yeah. the world and like mark <laughs> mark zuckerberg this and like yeah, snapchat that and it's like you think if you're not doing that like you're not winning like you're not successful and it's like that is like the point oh 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 one percent of mm. the world and like in reality everything is like a slog right so social tables was just acquired by another company in october and that company started in 1999 and the founding team is still there 20 years later and they're still not a household name and they're wildly successful like a half a billion dollars in revenue yeah crazy and you know they're popular kind of in this area or in our industry but if, if people are kind of like the the weight of how successful they feel is based on like do people know what company i work for or is my company cool my fear would be like you know yes those are great brands to work for and they're good for your personal brand and your work brand but if you're taking a job because the company's cool that's way less valuable to you than if you're taking a job because of how much you can learn like you have you like you really have to optimize for learning early on you really have to optimize for a role that's going to push you and be hard and be interesting and help you learn what you do and don't like about like work and you know a career and a role like your first like four or five jobs you'll probably not like you'll figure out what you don't like about work as you go of course and you'll start to figure out what you do like about work and what you want to do and I, I think like optimizing for learning is like is so key and if you're you know if you're doing that you'll be set up for success in the future because you'll you'll really truly know how to like create value and like you'll know valuable skills that you can apply anywhere you go yeah definitely definitely and and also too i mean we were we were kind of hitting on it a little bit um you know the fact that you're in this situation right now with social tables you you mentioned that you're the cmo you're the chief marketing officer you're on the board of directors Mm -hmm. All of this stemmed from you just cold emailing, cold calling, and just throwing yourself into the weeds mm-hmm. and and trying to get you know stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, what a, a question I had for you is now you know you're seven years in. You mentioned that you just got acquired mm-hmm. um, by a company that you know takes in half a billion dollars mm-hmm. on a yearly basis mm-hmm. of revenue. You know what is something that you've learned? just in the few months that you've been acquired with this other company that, Mm -hmm. you know, before you were, you were growing the startup, Mm -hmm. you were with, uh, this company that had maybe two, maybe one employee at the time. Um, now you're with a bigger company. I'm assuming that there's way more organization and, Mm -hmm. and stuff of that sort. What are the things that you're learning now with this bigger company mm-hmm. after being acquired yeah so social tables was about 100 to 120 people um when we got acquired so that's the only environment i knew i really only knew small company environment right. yeah and so this to me i have a gap in my skill set my gap is i don't have large company experience i don't have experience doing my job at a large scale of an international company this company has about four thousand employees across the globe um i don't even you know, the, know the customer account off the top of my head, but it's in the you know the high thousands, right? Like I don't know, fifteen, twenty thousand. So it's a whole new scale. It's the operations way bigger, and so what's it, what's interesting for me and what I what I love about it is like I'm learning a whole new environment again, thrown into the deep end because I went from the small company, we got acquired, so I'm immediately thrown in to this bigger company at a place that realistically, if I would have applied there, I wouldn't have been where I am. 
So right. it's like a unique experience. Again, where it's like, okay, now I'm in this spot where I'm at a probably a role and a title that you know I couldn't pay a company to give me somewhere else, but I have it here and I have a certain amount of responsibilities and I have to, again, figure it out. I have to understand how to operate, look at my peers within the company and see how do they operate? What do they do? How do they carry themselves? What are they focused on? How do they communicate? How do they lead teams? It's a new bar for like performance and I have to meet it really, really fast or else, you know, look, no one's invincible. Like yeah. <laughs> you, 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 we came into this through an acquisition. I still have to prove myself. So exactly. it's like that thing again where it's like, okay, wow, whole, whole new environment. Everyone around me probably has been there for four or five, 10 years. They know how to work. They know every single person there. They know how to operate. And I don't have any of that. And I need to, you know, figure it out and get really good at it. Cause like, I want to be really good at it. I want to be one of the best employees there. Yeah. And like, I want, you know, more responsibility. I want to do more things. So it's a, it's a unique opportunity for me to figure out if I can sink or swim in a big, a big company all of a sudden. Of course. And, and do you, do you realize, or have you really taken a step back at all and kind of thought to yourself, okay, like I'm, I'm using the same kind of characteristics and operations that I might've used, uh, when I was looking for internships for living social mm-hmm. or when I was graduated and we're looking into companies for social tables and maybe, like hitting up different people yep. for like understanding email marketing and, and business to business, uh, kind of, um, consumer awareness and stuff of that sort. Do you, do you kind of take a step back and, and say to yourself, okay, is there an outline that you're still using right now after mm-hmm. being acquired for a good chunk of money? Yeah. Um, you know, seven years older, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the same silly playbook that I had before. Yeah. It's like I'm still I'm still reaching out to people that are now in a bigger environment. So now when I like I'm not kidding, I'll spend an hour, two hours on LinkedIn, doing LinkedIn searches, <clears throat> finding companies that operate at a similar scale, maybe a similar price, similar environment, and I'll just reach out to people cold that are either in the role that I'm in or the role that I would want to be in, and asking them for feedback and advice. How do you operate this team? How do you operate a meeting like this? What do you do to make sure you're successful? How do you communicate with people above you and below you? You know, I haven't I've had a boss, our CEO, um, but you know, it's one person for the past seven years that I've you know really kind of grew up in this company with. And so now I have like new layers of bosses that I've never had to like worry about and think about. So it's the same playbook. It's reaching out to people, figuring out what works and what doesn't work. It's people in the company, it's people outside the company and just helping, you know, grasp, you know, what to do in a role like this now that I'm there having to figure it out, you know, all of a sudden. Yeah, definitely. I mean, kind of just looking back on it and getting more of like a personal and and internal understanding of maybe what your decision making was in the process. Mm -hmm. I mean, did you ever, I don't know, like, like for me, when, when you kind of think back and look at all of your successes and what you've accomplished in these last few years, do you ever think to yourself like, holy shit, like that was risky. Yeah. What was I thinking? I'm in, Washington DC, expensive city, mm-hmm. working uh, for a startup that mm-hmm. who knows if this is gonna hit whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I'm in an industry of event planning that I don't know anything about. Yeah. Like, what was your motivating factor to keep going and were you scared at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, I think it's, um, you know, I was young, I was right out of college, whatever, 21, 22, something like that. And 
that is the most ideal time to take the most risk possible. Yeah. You don't have kids, you don't have a mortgage, you're still living with roommates and <clears throat> friends and no one's making a lot of money and everyone's figuring out their first job and just like figuring out how to work. So to me, like take as much risk as possible early on <laughs> because it'll pay off. You'll learn a ton. Even if it goes poorly, you'll learn a lot, you know, and that's how I probably learn better. Like some people might like a more structured path, bigger company right out of the gate. You get tons of formal education and you understand processes and things at a high level. And it's a different environment. You can also learn that way. I think it's one of the key things is like, you know, do you know yourself and know how you like to learn and like what's effective? If you do like follow that, if you don't think about it a little critically, like how do I learn best? Like what classes do I enjoy the most and why don't I enjoy them? And which were my favorite professors and figure out the environment that works for you. It's, it's not gonna be the same environment for everybody. And I think as long as in your early in your career, you're just trying to figure that stuff out. It's not linear. It's not like, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier. It's like this like LinkedIn mindset of like everyone sees my job and my career path. So yeah. it always has to look like I'm going up even to the point where on LinkedIn, it's like literally up. There's like this like invisible ladder that all the more recent jobs are above the other jobs and they're public and they notify people and people don't want to do anything other than put a cooler, better, higher paid job there. And I just think that that mindset you might, you know, you might really lose out on learning. You might really lose out on like a great job or switching career paths because you figured out you do or don't like an industry or a role or a job. And I don't think you can think that way. I think you have to think like you're going to zigzag and go steps backwards, forwards, sideways. It's going to go every direction. And if you're thinking about what does my LinkedIn say, you're, you're probably not in that mindset where you should be taking risks. And it's like, oh yeah, should I take this? It's 10 K less. It's in a new city. It's right. whatever new job, new career. Like I don't want to take a step back. And it's like, you know, if you've been in marketing for two or three years and you realize you want to get into sales, like, yeah, like you don't know how to do that. So you probably should get paid less <laughs> yeah. than the thing that you know how to do. Exactly. Like that company is giving you an opportunity to learn something. They're taking a bet on you. So you got to invest in yourself. So like my, my thing would be like, okay, let's say you have a job for, you're making 50 grand right now and you have another job you think it's ideal and in the industry you want, but it's like 40 grand. I would say, think of it as the fact that you're still getting a salary and that 10 grand is you investing in yourself. Instead of going to grad school or taking an online course, you're right now for that first year, you're spending $10,000 to learn, you know, whatever, let's say it's marketing, you're gonna learn marketing, you're paying yourself 10, you're paying $10,000 to do it because you're taking a salary hit, do it for a year or two, and then you can kind of go like work your way back up and just think of it as an investment for yourself versus school or a class or an online thing. It's like, hey, yep, I'm paying 10 grand next year to learn how to do this and get in this injury, see if I like it, and then we'll go from there. I love that. I love that. I mean, it, and that's something that you never really think about too. I, I think a lot of us kind of like harp on, um, not really failures, but like kind of just, we think a lot about the money aspect. And we also think a lot about um, titles. And that's kind of what we were talking about with the LinkedIn mindset mm -hmm. where, you know, you get notified if someone has a promotion. Yeah. Wonderful. You went from a manager to a senior manager. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely wonderful. I'm so happy for you. But, you know, is that what you want to be doing? Do you mm -hmm. want to go into a different industry where maybe you want to tweak things up a little bit and maybe right now you're not in you're not into the industry that you're working in right now. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us are kind of stuck into this LinkedIn hierarchy mindset yeah. of just wanting to climb up this linear ladder mm -hmm. instead of taking those risks when we're in our 20s totally. and 
just dive into something like to be perfectly honest like i went through that like linkedin mindset like i'm currently in that linkedin mindset but there's so many different ways that you can go about it Mm -hmm. and a lot of people just don't really understand that you can take a step back Mm -hmm. you can take 10k less Mm -hmm. use that as your investment like you said Mm -hmm. and go forth and try something new. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's extremely powerful. Um, I one, one other thing that I wanted to, to ask you, um, you know, you are in a very uh, high class role right now at Social Tables. Mm-hmm. You, um, like I mentioned, are the chief marketing officer there. You've interviewed a ton of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the listener base is primarily people that are looking for that next step in their career. Mm-hmm. What would you, what sort of advice would you give to people? I'm sure you've looked at thousands upon thousands of resumes. Mm-hmm. Um, you've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. Are there certain traits that you're looking for when you sit down with someone or you're looking at a resume, whatever that may be? Um, to maybe come and work for you. Yeah. I think the number one thing is like communicating or being able to show that you have the ability to learn and the ability to learn quickly and the ability to learn new things and apply what you're learning to to do well in your role or, or to move forward. So being able to, I think being able to learn quickly, especially when you're early in your career is so important because people can then give you work, you'll figure it out fast. Maybe you're not an expert today, but you could be an expert in a week or you could be relatively knowledgeable in a week and mm. get stuff done. And I think the more that you can show that kind of ability and diversity, and that probably comes through less in the resume and more so in the a phone screen or, or a conversation, but really being able to show that yeah, you're early on in your career, you might ha- not have the skill set or you might not have the experience they want, but if you can show a proven track record of figuring things out fast, you're way more likely to get that job in that new industry because you know you you know you you've proven to someone through whatever projects or work experience that you have that maybe you didn't know something you knew it really quickly. And so being able to communicate that is important and definitely something that I would look for. I think just people that are just generally purposeful with what they've done in the past. You know, why did they? Even if you were in three or four different roles or industries in the past, as long as it doesn't feel like life was driving you to those different places and you were driving life, I think that's really important. So, you know, just being able to communicate like the why behind where you went and what you did. And, and I think those kind of two things combined gives an employer confidence that like, okay, this person knows what they want. They know what they're trying to do. And they're, they're a quick learner. And I have confidence that they'll be able to figure this role out because no one perfectly meets the job requirements of any, yeah. of any job online. <laughs> Never. <laughs> and and anyone that is not applying for a job because they don't meet the requirements is, in, is insane. Like, put your resume in. If they call you, that's because they saw something in that resume. It doesn't need to be perfect. Not everyone checks off every single skill. Don't lie. Don't yeah. say that you check off the skills <laughs> to get the call. Do not lie, guys. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't lie, but like, apply. And if you get on the call and you impress them, you can communicate to them that, hey, I don't have that skill set, but I feel really good about that I can learn it because X, Y, and Z. And they hire you. Like when you're interviewing, like it's 50-50. You're trying to figure out, do you want to work at the company? They're trying to figure out if they if, if you're the right person. And if they pick you, you got to walk in with the confidence and the swagger that it's because they thought you could figure it out and they have mm-hmm. faith in you. You don't have the perfect skill set today, but you'll get there over time. 
And, and I think if you're hesitant because you don't have the perfect skill set for the resume or you don't have the experience, or if they're like, we want three years minimum experience and you've got one, like who cares? Like put it, put it in. There's yeah. nothing wrong with just throwing, you know, your resume in there for the, for your dream job and trying to get it done. Like always, 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 always apply for underqualified always. Yeah, exactly. And, and another thing too is, you know, what I've noticed, like just going into to different interviews and such is. You know, don't be afraid to to talk about things that maybe you've failed upon or mm-hmm. maybe just kind of slipped up on. Mm-hmm. And like, what did you learn from that yeah. kind of a thing? Because that just that just goes back to what you were saying. You're you're a human being. Mm-hmm. You're not perfect. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, like people will see that and be like, okay, this is actually a a personable human being that learned from his mistakes. Mm-hmm took the next step to try and make it better. If not, like he learned from it. Yeah. Like you said yourself, you're a risky person. You learn from the mistakes that you made. Mm-hmm. You learned from all the different cold calls, cold emails that you yeah. did, just putting it out there and trying to, to see what you could achieve, uh, in your life. And, you know, I definitely believe that you've done so. Um, I think, you know, I since you're, you're since you're my first uh, guest, I want to have sort of a sign-off question sure. uh, that kind of wraps everything up. Yeah. Um, that I am going to ask everyone. Okay. Um, and that is looking back on your freshman year of college, mm-hmm. or you know maybe you're a senior in high school. What piece of advice would you go back and give yourself? Um, maybe it's something in your career, maybe it's something personally, maybe it's, uh, something with, I don't know, uh, maybe you wanted a pet. I don't know. Like who who knows? Um, what sort of, what piece of advice would you give yourself to yourself, uh, freshman year of college or senior year of high school? Yeah, I would say kind of knowing what I know now about, I think diverse experience and different experiences are extremely valuable. I think getting into like a very kind of like linear focused mindset of like, this is the exact path that I want to be on and what I want to do when I have to do this thing. Cause if I don't do this, then I won't do that. And if I don't do that, then I can't get here. And then if I don't get here, I'll never get there is I think it's like crippling to being creative. I think it's crippling to really, truly learning about yourself. It's really, it, you, you don't figure out what you do and don't like, cause you get so narrowly focused on this thing. And I would say to myself, like, be a lot more exploratory, like a lot more tangential. Don't just focus on, you know, if I want to get into finance, like, that's great. You can get into finance, but you should also take other courses and look at other things because you don't actually know what you do and don't like at that point. Or at least I didn't like Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I would enjoy or not enjoy in the work world or in school. And I think doing a lot more exploration, I think a lot of people look at that as like, oh, you don't know what to do or you're not focused or you don't have a goal. And it's like. Well, no, like if there's one time in my life that I have to take tons and tons of time to learn stuff, it's college and high school. Like you don't have any responsibility. Right. And you don't have to worry about money or bills for the most part. (laughs) And like you're just enjoying it. So like take that opportunity to truly like learn how to think and learn and like be creative in whatever that means to you. But like don't just really get narrowed down so early 
because I, I think it, it, it kind of puts you in a box and it unfortunately makes it so that you don't even know what you like. And if you have to discover what you like later in life, it's a lot more expensive when you're 28 and you've only done one thing and you, re- you wake up and you realize you don't like it. And you also don't even know what you do like. And that's really expensive when you're 30 yeah. to figure out what you do and don't like versus when you're you know, 19. And if you can get a good idea for it, you'll be off in a, in a better direction. So the more you can explore at an early age, I think the, the better off you'll be. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Trev, thanks again uh, for taking the time and for popping the Beyond the Profile cherry. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're welcome, man. Thanks, dude. All right. Thanks. Thank you all again for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Trevor. Again, like I said in the intro, an extremely insightful guy, uh, very intelligent, knows what he's talking about. And at such a young age, he knew what he wanted to do in terms of his passion. And that's still what he wants to do. You know, he wants to get involved and get, get his hands dirty in these early stage companies. Um, if, you, if you didn't know or couldn't tell, uh, I don't really know how you could, but I'm just going to let you know anyway. You know, full transparency here. Uh, that interview was done in early 2019. <laughs> so, yeah, I was on a little bit of a hiatus um, after um, that first interview. But um, we are rolling out with a part two with Trevor. Um, really just kind of a, a year and a half later, what, what are the updates? Um, what kind of things has he moved on from? Uh, what kind of things is he now thinking about in terms of his life, his goals, and um, how he's going to tackle that in the future? So, hope you guys tune in. It's going to be released on the same day. So, just, you know, flip on over to that. Um, thank you again for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Want to thank Trevor for taking the time to do this interview. And,. Check us out on social. We are at Beyond the Profile on all channels. So that's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever that may be. Thank you again. Peace.